Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We are working our way through Romans chapter 8. This comes on the heels of the sermon from this past weekend. Our series is titled For Real This Time, and it's it's meant to refresh Christians on what it means to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God every single day. So we're looking at the Holy Spirit's ministry as described in Romans chapter 8. If you are one of those who has been out of church for a long time, like uh, like a whole lot of Christians all over the U.S., for real this time, we want Easter Sunday to be the setting of a new trajectory in your life. And our first challenge in our first week was to forgive, forgive, forgive. That readied our hearts for communion this past weekend. And now this weekend, we are journaling in, uh, we are journaling what the Holy Spirit of God lays on our hearts. As you take these journal entries, you com- you compare them to the litmus test of Scripture. And this is how you know this is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, or this is some sort of demonic spirit, or this is even you uh, uh, talking to your own kooky, crazy self. All right? Now let's look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit's ministry. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. All right, now in the, in the following text we're going to look at tomorrow, is going to describe uh, that moment of adoption. This speaks to an, uh, an intimate fellowship with God. We'll talk, talk more about that tomorrow, but I want to zoom in on this text because it contains verbiage that is directly countercultural. We're not obligated to the flesh. Say it out loud right now. I don't care who's listening to you next to, Star- uh, next to you at, at Starbucks. Say it. We are not obligated to the flesh. You don't have to sin. We saw this earlier in the same passage. You are free from the law of sin and death. You are actually free from it. You are not obligated to the flesh. There's an option here. Get ready for this. You don't have to sin. Like, you don't actually have to take the bait that Satan sets you. This is is radically countercultural because in our culture today, we're told if you have this sexual desire in particular, then you have to act upon it or you're not being true to yourself. Biblically, The polar opposite is true. According to the Bible, according to, you know, God, you're not obligated to anything that your stupid flesh tells you to do. In fact, I would say that that is the worst imaginable rubric to live your life by. Anything that your carnal flesh desires, just do it, and that's the kind of person you are, that's a great way to die. Look, if you live according, uh, we're, we, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. Those carnal desires give birth to death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look at the wordplay here between life and death and life and death. Right? Uh, it's more like, uh, it, it, it's more like, it's more like, life, death, death, life. Here's what I mean by that. Here's the first life, live according to the flesh, right? Live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if instead you put that to death, you will live. You see that? Live, die, die, live. If you kill what's killing you, you'll live. Live by the Spirit, And by the Spirit, put to death 
the thing that's killing you. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gave us a drastic call. If anything causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to go through life maimed, missing a hand, missing an eye, okay, than it is for you to go into the hellfire perfectly intact. Okay, so that this speaks to man, how the Holy Spirit's gonna call you to do something that's gonna seem drastic. It's gonna be hard to do. It's gonna seem like it costs you much. And I think that that's a beautiful offering to put on the altar of sanctification. If it is a sin that is precious to you, if it is a sin that's gonna cost you much to repent from it, I think that honors God immensely. This is why we as Christians you know, especially those of us who are in ministry, if we're, we're pastors, this was why we were uh, against Obergefell, because we knew what would happen. You know, we had seen people repenting from homosexuality for, for years. And then what happens if they're legally married now and they have custody of a child and then they repent from homosexuality? Like that's a repentance from sin that's going to be immensely costly. Like they have to legally break up their family and, and walk with Christ now. But God told us, Jesus told us, right? Whatever's causing you to sin, you gouge it out. When I do premarital counseling, okay, for, for couples, and by the way, I only do premarital counseling for heterosexual couples, all right, uh, who are uh, both Christians. Um, I will also, uh, I also do, do believe there's a biblical, there's a biblical allowance to officiate a wedding between two non-Christians, but you better believe that whole thing is one big gospel sharing opportunity. Um, okay. Uh, but I will not officiate a wedding between a Christian and a non-Christian. But when I'm officiating a wedding and I'm doing premarital counseling with a couple and they're shacked up together, they're living together, I always offer my house to the groom. All right. Uh, let him come and stay. We've got room for you. Come live at my house until the wedding, or we can officiate a wedding tonight, like right now. And I've seen couples take me up on that. We've thrown together the most beautiful wedding you've ever seen that was planned in five minutes. And it was through the glory of God. They were living together and they knew like we can't afford to have separate housing right now. We're trying to save up for the wedding. By the way, don't get suckered into that. Okay, singles, do not fall for the lie that you have to put on a big, giant, extravagant $50,000 wedding. And I think a $50,000 wedding is probably around average. All right, don't fall for that lie. You are just as married forevermore without all that money going to you. What you need that money for is a down payment on a house, okay? Ask me which one you're gonna want more in the long run, all right? The designer cake or a house, okay? <laughs> so when I counsel these couples, I lay that out there and those are the two options that I give. Um, I have also been shot down before. They, I, I said it as nicely as I could, you know, and more than once I've been, I've been shot down. And then this has also happened as a result. I'll tell them like, look, you know, you, you're currently living in sin. Um, that's further compounded. Like say the couple already has a child, you know, uh, they're like, we can't have the dad move out of the house. This is his kid. What do you, you can't break up the family before the wedding. In which case I'll say like, look, all right, you still, you have the opportunity to come stay at my house or let's get married right now. 
Let's get married right now. Uh, and a couple of times, a few times, really, I've lost, uh, uh, I've lost track over the years, but like they'll, they'll move on. They'll find some other pastor who won't call them out on that sin. But then inevitably, as they haven't addressed the spiritual issues that are at play within their relationship, guess who they come to for counseling? They'll come to the guy who told them the biblical truth. And this is because it's always, it always costs less to repent from sin then it costs to remain in sin because remaining in sin ultimately is going to lead to death itself. But when we have the spirit of God, we walk in step with the spirit of God by the spirit, we put to death these deeds of the flesh. We live. That's what the text says. It's just, it's just Bible basic. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all those led by the spirit are God's sons. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God can seem like a foreign concept if God to you is some faraway deity, if you came from deism, something that's growing in popularity. I've seen it uh, within atheistic circles because I'm, I, I, I'm a part of a whole lot of atheistic Facebook groups, and, and I have a lot of friends who are atheists, and deism seems like a great way to kind of dip your toe in the water. Oftentimes it comes when somebody who is an evolutionist starts to find more and more how the whole thing is really implausible, how it couldn't have come about by an unguided process, how the geological, how, how archaeological record uh, uh, lends precisely, what is it? Oh yeah, jack nothing to the theory. They start to see like, this is kind of silly. You know, I can't account for sexual reproduction at the very beginning of all species. I can't account for the evolution of sensory capacities over the series of, of, of billions of years. I, I can't really account for where life came from in the beginning. Miller and Yuri no longer convinced me that a lightning strike in a puddle gave rise to, you know, Oprah today. Like, and, and so they, they, they try to take a baby step toward God and they end up becoming deists, which is like, okay, okay, okay. I'll grant that God created the universe, but I don't want to like answer to him. I don't want to believe even that it's specifically Jesus. Like I, I, maybe everybody's right. You know, they, they become these uh, walking contradictions, like as they try to adhere to ev all the faiths at once, and they're just out of this vague notion of God. They'll, they'll uh, sort of like take a baby step, and they think of, they think of deism like a baby step toward faith, but they'll stop short of that. And the reason they do that is they don't want to repent from sin. This is Romans 1. This is the very first chapter of the book that we're drawing from. I have another series, by the way, if you want more Romans. Uh, I preached through the book of Romans in a series on our YouTube channel called How Christians Are Made. Here in this text, we see that we are not created by some distant, aloof creator God, but we are his children. Those who are led by God's spirit are God's sons. And my sisters in Christ, you know what this means for you as well. You're his daughters. That you're not just a project for God. You are his child. And so when you are in touch with the Holy Spirit of God, you are in touch with your Creator, Father. By the Holy Spirit of God, it is possible for you to refer to the Creator as your Heavenly Father. And we will talk more about that one tomorrow because that's a game changer. It could be that you haven't really been faithful in church since this past, uh, before this past Easter because you haven't really had an intimate relationship with God. I pray in Jesus' name that changes right now. I'll see you tomorrow.